Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with, of course, lovely co-host Matt Offenbacher. Matt, how's everything in your world today? I mean, it's good. It's a little surreal. I managed to sleep a lot over the weekend, and I think my body's still trying... Between that and taking allergy meds, which I don't know, I'm taking allergy meds in the middle of winter, but it just (laughs) seems to be what's happening right now. Everyone has Those two different things have got me feeling pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) You heard that, folks. He's on a rocket ship today. So what changed? I mean, why'd you get so much sleep? Well, I think it was, we were at a party that was like later for old people. I was like, man, we were out till 11. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And then just didn't set any alarms or whatever. And it's one of those where I actually like ruined the day yesterday because I slept in till like 1230. Oh, wow. And it was one of those like, oh my gosh, I've missed out on so much life. But dude, you um, actually managed to sleep that long. That's the thing is like you roll over. You're like, that can't be right. And then you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I've missed like. Normally, I'm up at five or six o'clock. So this was like, I guess I needed it. Yeah. Your body was telling you. Yeah. But it was also like, oh, dear. (laughs) Now (laughs) So anyways. (laughs) So did you go right into afternoon mode or did you like do your morning routine at noon? It was an abbreviated. It was like, well, I guess I need to eat lunch. Like it was sort (laughs) of those like, is that what people do at 1230? Dude, that is so funny. Even times where I haven't put my alarm on. If I sleep past 830, it's something's like gone haywire. So yeah. like you clearly either were fighting something and your body's like, I need to recover and need more sleep. But man, that was expecting you to say like 830 or yes, 9. That would be like <laughs> my kids will let me go much past 630, you know? Yeah. So it was. Dude, that is yeah. funny. Well, that's good. You're going into the holidays charged up, man. I hope so. <laughs> that's it. Well, uh, speaking of charged up, oftentimes the formation can be charged up with all sorts of things. Yeah. Well, uh, we got to talk about your weekend and charged <laughs> up formations, it sounds like. Yeah. No, it was, again, topics a lot of times come up from things that happen in real life. In an area where you typically go in with, say, a dispersed mud system, I don't think it's necessary to go over what a dispersed mud system is. We've gone through what's an LSD, what's a dispersed. But for those familiar with the system, you go in with a dispersed mud And it's all good if you've planned to drill something without any major contaminants because contaminants can throw a wrench into things. And so in this case, Matt, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about and kind of walk through what you would do is if you were drilling with a dispersed mud system and you have a high gel content in there to then all of a sudden taking a water flow, which adds a bunch of things to the mud that really want to, for lack of better terms, screw things up. Yeah. Taking a flow when you're drilling with dispersed mud system, what do you do? What's happening? And kind of some things to consider to break things over to where you can keep going without things falling apart. Yeah. Anyway, what's happening when you're drilling with something like that and you take on water? What is happening at that point? Well, most likely when you're taking on water, you're not just taking on water. This isn't pure, neutral, deionized water. This is (laughs) most likely produced water of some kind. Or Mm. even if it was aquifer, it's most likely saline in some way. So you should expect salt and you should expect cations. But you're also getting volume. When you talk about plans going to waste, just think about, all right, my water-based mud is being cut with water. It's receiving salt that I didn't necessarily want. It may be receiving cations that aren't playing nicely with whatever else I was putting in my mud. The treatment program has to change. It may no longer be economical. You break the mud system over because it may no longer be economical to have 
six pounds per barrel of lignite in there if you're taking 30 or 40 barrels an hour of water and now you've got to build all this new mud volume off of that. Yeah. Something that seemed to make sense and was straightforward based on your initial plan requires a new plan. Yeah. No, and that was really it. It's like, and in this case, we're, call it less than a thousand feet away from intermediate casing point. So it's like, do you pump and dump? Like, do you Mm. just like dump a bunch and like you build some with a premix and that way you can keep up with it? I mean, it really depends on the amount of flow and how much contaminants. And again, you kind of have to make a judgment call. But in this case, it made sense to, okay, we're taking on so much flow. We need to increase the density, but we can't control rheology because chlorides and everything's getting thick and wonky. And so at that point, it was like, okay, let's make a decision to go to an LSND system, meaning low solids or as low as possible, and essentially not dispersing it and trying to get rid of all that gel. But with the chlorides coming in, it was just very difficult to control properties. And when you're getting close to TD, you need good properties to be able to, you know, A, you need to stop the flow. And then do you need to be able to get in and out or out and then back in the hole with casing? So at that point, we made a decision to swap it over to an LSND, which fortunately wasn't that difficult. But Matt, when we're talking more on sort of technical perspective, what are we doing when we're, say, flipping something over from a dispersed system to a low solids non-dispersed system? I think it generally depends on the nature of your system, right? But one, since we're doing non-dispersed, we stop adding our dispersants first and foremost. But that goes back to your notion of, you have these clays, and normally in a dispersed system, those clays get all dispersed by your dispersant, and that yeah. creates a nice wall cake. It helps you control viscosity, that sort of thing. But then when those clays start responding to the water flow you just took, you see that viscosity increase, your overall dispersant concentration has gone down, the clay I added is now becoming my enemy. A low solids non-dispersed, typically, I guess, here's a question for you. Did mm-hmm. you guys decide to just sort of break it over on the fly as you were drilling? I mean, that seems to be the most practical. Yeah, it's a good question. But- like we didn't do like an open hole displacement. We said, okay, as we're doing this, let's quit adding product XYZ, lignite, CLS, gel, mm-hmm. and let's just start adding polymers mm-hmm. across the board, pack, and then some starch for fluid loss, and then xanthan gum to really get things going. And it really didn't take a lot. Fortunately, we got ahead of it to where it didn't completely ruin the system and we had to make any drastic, like dump a bunch. It was more like, hey, let's just keep hitting it with fresh water, dilute and treat it. Meanwhile, we had up to 40, 50,000 chlorides, which is high. But I remember in that area years ago, drilling with a, I call all polymer, I guess, low solids, non-dispersed mud with up to 70,000 chlorides. And we were able to manage it, fortunately. And how long we'd be able to drill with that for, who knows, but we were able to control it enough in like seven days to be able to get intermediate casing point now without any issues. So that was nice. Once we stopped the flow, of course, but I mean, the chlorides remained pretty high up until we did, were on to the next interval. Yeah. And it sounds like you took a slug of it, but switching yeah. over to those polymers that can tolerate the salinity, they can handle some of that other <laughs> aspects of that situation. And then I guess the other question, of course, you dispersed the system for a reason, which would lead me to believe that- Reactive clays are possibly an issue in the area. That's correct. Yeah, and and that upper hole gets pretty bad. Okay, so you were already through it, but obviously that doesn't mean you you still got a casing through it and a BHA out of it. (laughs) Exactly. So you guys probably had to keep a close eye on just how much you were carrying in your system and that sort of thing, along with trying to keep your fluid loss reasonable, I'd imagine. Yeah, we tried to keep it below, I think it was around five the whole time. And that's kind of standard procedure for that area is we found remaining having a tighter fluid loss helps which in any case most of the time doesn't unhelp right <laughs> like right can't you know, hurt yeah it was like okay well knowing the well now has been introduced to a different system 
let's try and run this as high performing as possible. And so they were willing to spend the money, but again, they wanted to spend money more on making sure the mud was in good shape and having a wellbore that they could get casing to bottom. It wasn't like, well, let's just limp along and hope to get casing to bottom because a neighboring rig that wasn't ours had a similar issue and then ended up going in with their nine and five eighths casing, couldn't get it down, had to pull it. Mm. So that cost that's way more money than yeah. spending an extra, call it 60 grand on mud or whatever. But anyway, yeah, that was the idea there. And we don't actually have casing on bottom, but the mud's in shape. We've managed to control the flow. So yeah, we're just getting to a point now. It's like, let's try and get through the finish line. Yeah. So did you guys wait up to control the yeah. flow or? Okay. Yeah. Once we broke it over, it's not broke it over, but displaced to a LSD. We then started adding some barite. We could control the rheology enough to where it could suspend barite. We're not that heavy. It's like 10 pounds. And then, of mm -hmm. course, it started losing a little bit. So then we had yeah. to back it off. Yeah, yeah, so of course. That, Thread the needle. Yeah, yeah. But again, it was handled well. Again, big shout out to the mud engineers. They didn't panic. Had our field soup out there during the whole entire thing, making sure everything was honky-dory and away we went. And so, yeah, we're kind of in the mix right now trying to get through it. But I guess, Matt, what, from your perspective on a chemistry side of things, what would undermine the idea to switch to a, say, a polymer type mud in this type of situation? Is there anything that we'd need to consider? Is like, yeah, it makes sense, but you may want to wait because if you were to switch it over, this could happen. I mean, is there a case where we should have just forced ourselves to stick with a dispersed system? I don't think so. I mean, especially as you start to struggle with mud properties and you're near TD, you know, you've got to yeah. figure something out if you want to get casing down safely, yeah. let alone get out of the hole. There is an element of saying, okay we got a dispersed system. We haven't far to drill. We know we probably have pretty good wall cake as far as fluid loss goes. Like that dispersed gel is stuck up against a lot of the permeable zones. Yeah. Is there a way I could just fight it while I'm waiting up and dilute it? I think to your point, that's not as much of a chemical question. Like, could you do it? Yes. Would it be very, very expensive? Yes. Could the rig crew keep up? I'm not sure they could. Not without enough notice. Because I'd imagine you're drilling pretty fast anyways. And then just chemically, you go back into the chloride. Like those start riding up and products do perhaps not perform the way you're used to in, in a dispersed system. From that perspective, then you say, okay, well, even if I tried to stick with the horse I started with, are my anionic dispersants and that sort of thing playing nicely with everything else that's coming in, these cations and yeah. everything else? Or are the chlorides costing me where I'm not getting that performance anyways? Now we jump ship. I think... It goes back to having an idea of what to do on the fly, being sort of ready for anything. And I mean, I imagine this isn't your first rodeo taking a flow in the area. It can be helpful to sort of map that stuff out because you're right. Like it costs some money, but you do have the offset case of not being able to get casing down. And well, how expensive is that? Mm. So yeah, let's spend the money. Let's get a good one in. So yeah, I just think big picture, a lot of that comes down to economics above all else. Although there are some sort of technical considerations depending on what you're getting with a flow where products don't work as well. And then it's not just expensive. They're technically worthless. Exactly. Well, that's just it, Matt. So again, it was a short episode. Something that happened, I figured it was worth talking about folks out there. If you have any experiences doing this, I'm sure you do. If you're a mud engineer, there's probably been a lot of times where you've taken flow and had to make some adjustments on the fly. Matt, any other considerations, things we need to think about if you're drilling with one system and flipping to another? I guess it goes back to, if you look at the expense in future wells, is there a practical, like on the fly thing you can have to be at the rig site ready to break it over? Mm -hmm. Do you want to look at cap drilling or managed pressure drilling in the future? Just how much of a problem is this and what do you want to do about it? I think it's one thing where ah, it doesn't happen very often. And so let's just have our 
outline of what we're going to do and stay conventional. And then I think there's the, wow, this is a chronic issue and it's getting expensive or it's interfering with our rig operations. Yeah. Maybe we need some equipment. Maybe we need to go about it a little different way than we have. Do you change your drilling practices in the future? That really depends on how chronic you think this is going to be. That's it. Great input, Matt. And again, for those out there, if you have any thoughts or questions or want to add to the conversation, I'm sure any mud engineer out there had this happen a time or two. And so, yeah, again, chime in or hit us up on LinkedIn. You can find us both there. You can find AES on LinkedIn. Make sure you give them a follow. We always are putting out great content there, keeping up with just trends and what we're doing as a company. And Again, a big shout out to Andrew Hewitt. I don't know if you follow either him or AS Fluids. He got the presidential award recipient, right? So why don't we give a flower to Andrew? Matt, you've worked with him for a long time. What does he do and what was deserving of the old presidential award? Well, let's first start that everybody is so proud of him. So we hired him out of school. Like he went to mud school, paid his own way to go to mud school. Yeah. Graduated LSU chemical engineering degree. Chris Campbell oversaw his experience in the mud and shear trainee program that we have. He worked in the warehouse for a while and then ultimately ended up on rigs, Mm. but made friends everywhere he goes. So like he can still call our warehouse folks and they remember him and he can get things done because he's built these great relationships everywhere he goes. He works with our vendors. So he helps us oversee sourcing, which has been a huge deal. He's that chemical engineering background. He's able to talk shop at the molecular level be able to specify what we're looking for, yeah. get us competitive pricing, find new sources, maintain relationships so that we have trust with those that we work with. It's really helped us ensure the quality and consistency of our products. He also oversees all our liquid blends. Yeah. So he's the guy checking all the numbers to make sure everything looks good. He'll go down there himself whenever necessary, but just phenomenal to think of somebody who started out as a guy learning how to work in the field not that many years ago. And now he's really making sure that the company gets the best value for its products and keeps good relationships. Yeah. I think with vendors, especially, and you know, we have many that listen here, we value relationships, but we want to have those relationships on an intellectual level as well. So when we're able to talk and get into more nuanced things, we can make better things. We have better opportunities. And so Andrew oversees all that. Could be more proud of him. Extremely deserving, particularly when you think about all of the challenges we've had in the past couple of years. Yeah. He just continues to shine everything you throw at him. So that's it. And I'm extremely grateful to have him on our side, especially from a sales perspective, because a lot of times you can only charge what the market will allow you to charge. But if you got folks like him working on driving down costs, then financially it's in our own interest and, and yeah. it benefits us greatly. And from that side of it, it's always nice to talk to him and say, Yeah costs are doing this and that and the other. And it's like, okay, I can plan. This is good. He constantly is working his tail off to be able to drive costs down for us, which is amazing. And with that being said, yeah, that was really it. Just want to give uh, Andrew a big shout out there on the old presidential award. And yeah, that's something we do every year. And again, looking forward to see coming down who's next, but he's on the alum there. So yeah. big shout out to Andrew, if you're listening. With that said, everyone, take care. Hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.